I saw the five. All right. We're here with one of my good friends. His name is Andrew Nielsen. Andrew is from Oxford, Pennsylvania, and he's a multi-generational farrier. Uh, his dad's a farrier, his uncle's a farrier, and his brother's a farrier. So it is kind of running in his blood. Uh, when we first started that we we're going to do this podcast, we kind of like wrote down some names and stuff of people who we wanted to get on pretty quick. And Andrew was one of those people, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, one of the first names that came up on our list, really. Yeah. Yeah, uh, not too many people that work as hard as you do. You, <laughs> I don't know you, about that. You, 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 you <laughs> man, you are a busy, busy dude. So, like, at, at least up till like even now, I'm sure you're busy with the kids now. But yeah. man, start. Let's start from the beginning though. Of like, obviously, your dad is a horseshoe and stuff. And what made you head this direction? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like all we've ever known, right? Um, I'd say if you'd ask my dad, he'd tell you this too. He he never really pushed me and my brother to be horseshoers. Uh, I'd say if anything, there was times when he kind of tried to talk us out of it just because he didn't want us to do it just because he did it, right? Yeah. Like he was thrilled that we're horseshoers now, we're successful and we're rocking on. But, um, you know, we had horses at our farm pretty much as early as I can remember. So for me, horses and horseshoeing was just kind of a part of life. And, uh, it was something that was just commonplace for us. Yeah. You know, we'd have friends come over the house and whatnot and they'd be we like, we might oh, need you, you to like step up closer to the mic. Is that better? Talk it. Yeah. Way better. Yeah. Way better. All right. All right. Yeah. So, uh, the horses were just for us, you know, just work and it wasn't really that, uh, exciting, I guess. And same kind of thing with horseshoe. And, you know, people would think that our dad did that and it was so cool and he was a blacksmith and, for us, it was just totally normal. So I'd say it probably wasn't until my early teenage years when I started really getting into it. You know, we worked on the horses and stuff when we were young, and we helped with the barn work and everything like that. But uh, I'd say it was probably 12 years old to where I took more of an interest in it. And then about 14, 15 years old, I was going um, to work on a daily basis with my dad and with my uncle. We, we were homeschooled as well from, I started in third grade. So that helped that out to where, uh, you know, we could get the schoolwork done. We needed when we wanted to get it done and, uh, and go do other things like shoe horses in the, you know, in between when we were getting school. What done. were the other things than shoeing horses like growing up? We, we did a lot. We played a ton of sports, um, went camping a bunch, went fishing, went hunting, uh, you know, we played lacrosse, played wrestling, baseball, ice hockey. So we were kind of into a lot of it. Um, you know, I, I obviously competed a lot in horseshoeing competitions here lately, and it's something my dad had a lot of interest in when we were kids too, but he kind of didn't get into it as much and coached every sport we played in and took us fishing all the time, took us camping, and that was kind of our life. And, you know, horseshoeing was his job, and we kind of weren't immersed in it like we all are now growing up. What's your dad's name again? Doug Nielsen. Doug. And uh, he's he's still shoeing. We uh we have an account that we split that we work together every every Tuesday. So tomorrow that's what we'll be doing. And uh, he's going on I think thirty five years shoeing, and still works wow. five six days a week. And you know doesn't show, is, show any signs of slowing down. 
Yeah, he is one of my my favorite people, really. Like, it, he is such a, a whole, like, student of the trade and the craft. And, like, even though he's been in it so long, you could put him near anybody, and he's he's going to find something he can learn from him pretty much. I mean, unless they just irritate the shit out of him. Right. <laughs> but for the most part, he'll, he'll find something, man. It's, like, it's pretty cool. Yeah, he's a pretty incredible role model, and I, I think I take him for granted. I know I take him for granted sometimes, and... You know, then it gets around other people or we got new young guys coming in working for us and they're just kind of blown away by how he is and how much he still legitimately enjoys shoeing horses every day. He likes getting up and going out and shoeing and that kind of hasn't changed. We all have bad days and stuff and he does too, but he still really loves us. That's cool. Yeah, it's cool yeah. shit. So you, so you pretty much like, did you have any plans after like, uh, did you go go to homeschool all the way through high school then? Did you graduate like being homeschooled? Yeah, I did. And uh, the last, um, I guess maybe my sophomore year, I kind of had it in my mind that I wanted to be a carpenter, be a general contractor. And I was shooing full time at that point. I already had some clients and everything. I guess I would have been going in like the summer of my sophomore year going into my junior year. Um, and one of my dad's good friends was carpenter. So I started working with him some. Uh, there's a trade school out east here that's really good that I could get into and kind of had that on my mind a little bit and contemplated it a lot over that uh, over that summer and worked with him some in that fall and winter. And I'd say coming out of that and finishing up my junior year, it just, you know, it just, it was a no brainer to shoot horses. Um, I don't know what clicked or what changed. I think just getting into it that much more, working on that many more horses. So then that summer going into my senior year and my senior year of high school was pretty much just shoeing. Um, and then never turned back from there. Uh, took some business courses online at a community college after mm-hmm. I graduated high school, uh, just for that, uh, spring and fall semester. And, uh, I look back on that as a good thing. Uh, just get, definitely gave me a good base and some knowledge at General least to be knowledge. able to communicate. Yeah. To be able to communicate with my accountant more than anything, you know, and just uh, have a good base from there. And then, yeah, so that summer after my uh, senior year of high school, that's that's all I've done. I think that's, when I think back to it, aside, aside from some odd jobs and stuff as a kid, I've never made money doing anything but shoeing horses in my life. It's the only job Damn. I've ever had. Damn. Yeah. So how much, never, like, when you were in high school, how much was, like, your dad paying you to, like, work for him? Like, so pay he, wage or per horse wage or... What it ended up coming down to is he had this big account that he got when he was, uh, I think, 19, and he'd been oh, shooing wow. there forever, and they had a lesson program, and they were still kind of at the old prices, and he didn't want to bring them up and to that, but didn't really want to keep shooing them at that price, and we went there every Friday morning, so basically it turned into, I'd work for him during the week, and then we'd go to that barn, he'd shoe the boarders horses, I'd shoe the lesson horses, and then I got paid for shoeing all those lesson horses, and then that was my pay for the week. And I remember, yeah. I think it was like 60, 60 or 65 bucks a half set is what it was. And I remember going there on one Friday morning, and I maybe had my driver's license. I don't even know if I did at that point, but I did like 11 or 12 half sets, right? So it was like $700. Being a senior in high school, that's a lot of money. I don't. Even, I think I might have still been a junior, right? So I was like, <laughs> a junior. You know, b- before one o'clock or so, I I walked into the office and I get a check for like seven hundred and fifty bucks, and I was like, man, this in a day. I, I can't see anything going better than this. Yeah, so that was probably two <laughs> two thousand five. I think wow. that would have been. 
Yeah. I mean, that was kind of like a big deciding factor to me on why, uh, like my mentality switched from like kind of wanting to like go from rodeo and into like shoeing horses more seriously was getting paid that first time, you know, on a day full of horses. I was like, well, you can make some serious money in a day doing this. So yeah, that really helped change my mind too. I think so. And I think what I've always liked about it is you get out of it exactly what you put into it. You know, there's yep. a lot of people in this world that work really hard and a lot of them work way harder than we do and don't have a quarter to show for it at the end of the day. But with horseshoe and the, the better horseshoe you make yourself and the more time you put into it during the day, it's, you know, exactly what you get out of it. You know, there's no, there's no loss, I feel like. So I yeah, think that's sure. definitely something that draws me to it and that I like it. I kind of control my own outcome to a degree. Yeah, and you're definitely not, you're, you're not afraid to practice a little bit, you know. And that's something that I think a lot of people can get from you is, uh, so if you could talk a little bit, like what got you heading towards like uh, competitions and, le- and even like probably certification world before that, you know, I'm sure your dad had a big influence on it. He but. did. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've talked about it before and, and so I've thought about it a lot too. And I kind of break my career that I've had so far, which is about 20 years, I think, as, uh, that I've been doing it on a regular basis is I, I break it down into three parts. And that first part was, was learning and kind of getting acclimated with it and how it all goes. Right. And becoming a good helper, being safe enough to shoe some horses on my own. And then that second phase was starting my business and getting my certifications. And uh, I think that was never a question that I was going to do that. All the guys that my dad hung around with and looked up to, and then my dad as well, all of them were journeymen. So that was the progression. You learned how to shoe horses. You got your basic certification. You got your journeyman. Um, I wanted to get mine before my dad got his age-wise was my biggest motivating factor. So I I I think I did by about six or eight months. I think I want to say I was 20. Winning's winning. 22 or 23, I think, when (laughs) I got my journeyman. So that was pretty cool. Um, So, yeah, that was just a given. It wasn't even a question that I was going to go and do that. So then I got my journeyman. Um, About that time, Hannah and I got married, my wife, and uh, we're rocking and rolling. We were living on this horse farm that we took care of in exchange for living there. So we didn't have rent. Hannah was working. Um, we had our first daughter on the way, so we were just living life, man. And, uh, I kind of fell into that for a little bit of just, I was had a book full of horses. I had a couple young guys working for me. I was married. I had a kid on the way. Everything was just good to go. And I would say that was kind of through our first daughter being born and then a little bit thereafter. And I felt myself kind of getting complacent and, uh, yeah. Knew about competing, knew about the WCB, but it wasn't really something I had, uh, the path I'd gone down. My younger brother went to Heartland Horseshoeing School, and he'd been to a couple WCBs, and he was ragging me a little bit about it, but um, it seemed every time he said he was messing around with practicing for a contest or going to one, is I was getting ready to go hunt or go fish. And uh, at the time, that's about all I wanted to do was shoe horses and go hunting and go fishing. Didn't really even want to think about anything else. Yeah. And it kind of got me thinking that, man, I'm kind of treating horseshoeing just like a job. And uh, you see all these other guys that are you really start doing hating it at well. That point. Right. Yeah, that too. But, you know, you see these guys that make it their lifestyle. Those are the guys that we all want to be like. So uh, then that took me into the third uh, part of my career, third phase of my career, I guess, which is kind of 
where I'm at at the end of that now. I don't want to say the end of it, but that I feel like I've gone through that was diving into competing. What, uh, how, how was going about your journeyman for you? Did it come pretty easy or was it uh, like, cause you've already been practicing for a while now. Like you already been a farrier for a while. Yeah. Um, the written was easy. I shouldn't say it was easy, but that that's the easiest part of the three. And, Must be uh, nice. <laughs> one was, <laughs> I took it pretty soon after my, uh, my certified and my wife is a her family runs a large horse farm and she was a pony clubber growing up and i don't know what rating she has but it's pretty high and uh, so she's pretty sharp when it comes to anatomy um and she's also just very academically gifted knows how to study graduated college with honors everything so she she helped me out a bunch with that uh studying for that written yeah so that was pretty huge and uh i think the uh the forging aspect was wasn't too bad because I had been practicing a lot as far as the bar shoe goes and the horse. But at that time, I wasn't really putting many handmaids on horses. I didn't start off in that direction. Um, you know, I started off just putting kegs on for a long time, and then started practicing for the journeyman. Um, was really when I started putting uh, handmaids on horses. So it. Uh, for that, for the practical portion, I tried to set aside at least two or three horses a week to have a dry run on. Um, and that was after I'd taken the test once. I think I went and took the test pretty soon after my certified. Probably wasn't ready to do it. And that was, you know, past the written and then kind of showed me where I needed to be. And uh, that became so the plan So you had been shooing on. horses for almost like eight years at that point before you took your journeyman? So 22 you were, and then you said about 13 yeah i would say i'm trying to remember that's when i passed my journeyman i think i was about a year in so it might have been closer to 21 when i took my journeyman for the first time 21 or 22 yeah Yeah. yep now like speaking of uh nailing on your your handmaids at that stage your dad wanted me he he brought this up i i probed your dad for some questions you know all right and uh, he he said to ask about one of your first handmaids going on and learning yeah. about appropriate <laughs> appropriate wit and uh, nail placement. Yes, yes. Yeah. So we had this old paint horse. He's actually still alive. <laughs> He's uh, babysitting one of my dad's clients' horses, and uh, just a jacked up hind end, big old paint horse, like sixteen one, sixteen two, super narrow uh, behind uh, medial walls and really underrun. So he's like, what are you doing today? Because I was home that day. I said, I'm going to make uh, make some handmaids and put them on Cloudy's hind end. I think he needs hind shoes. Cloudy was the horse's name. Oh, and he just kind of laughed, and he's like, all right, sounds good. Leaves to go for work. So I go down there. I'm like, I'm putting fuller shoes on him. So I make some three-quarter fuller shoes, and I fit him up and shape him up, and I start nailing, and he's jerking my guts out, and I'm pulling out <laughs> bloody nail after bloody nail. Oh, man. Oh. It was just an absolute nightmare. Didn't get the shoes oh. nailed on. And that, that horse was luckily tough as nails. I don't even think he abscessed from any of that, you know. God so dang. I didn't get the shoes on. Dad comes home from work, goes down. I don't want to talk to him, look at him, nothing. And uh, sees that they're not on there. Comes up, he's like, what happened? And uh, I don't think I fessed up to it right away. I was like, nah, I, just, I, was, too, I was too busy. And uh, I'm sure he saw all the old, you know, the nail holes coming out. This is the bloody nail oh, holes yeah. coming outside the horse's foot and everything. So I don't know how old I was then. I was I was pretty young, but that was definitely 
I can recall a lot of sobering experiences showing horses, <laughs> especially lately, I feel like. But that was one of my earliest memories really? um, shoot, of sobering experiences showing horses was that one right there. Did it spook you a little bit after that? Like It did for sure. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. know where these things are coming out at. And. And in hindsight, knowing that, you know, I can picture that horse's feet and whatnot, I mean, he'd still be half a nightmare to try and shoot behind. Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, you know, sure. let alone having no idea what I was doing. What were some things that hung you up on the practical of the journeyman? Um, mine was fit on the front feet. And okay. it's, hmm. it's still, like I'd say, as part of my game goes with competing and whatnot, that's still one of my weaker things. And a big reason why I was on a hind foot when I was on the team the past two years. Oh, um, man. Front feet are hard. Like they, they just, are. like, they could be almost anything. Like they don't yeah. have like a, a set of rules almost or something yeah. like a, a hind does. For sure. Yeah. There's all, you know, just that, that constant smooth transition. And yeah, like you said, there's so many different shapes they can be and you can turn them into. And, you know, I just see Heinz that much better. So I, that was my biggest hang up. And basically I would have a go at it with trimming my front feet and, uh, or trimming the whole horse and then having them judge it while I cut steel and, and got the fronts going. And basically it was finish the fronts with just enough time that I could bang out the Heinz real fast, you know? Yeah. And, uh, that's what the first time I took it. That's pretty much what happened. The fronts were a little short and, uh, they just weren't going to let me get through on that one. And, um, the actually Steel was a, wise, a, they were short, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The shoes were too short. And, uh, I, I ended up taking the practical three times. Um, okay. I, I took the test three times and I passed the written the first time, the bar shoe, the second time, and then the horse the third time. And, uh, after third the second time, right of the same exact thing happening it really made me just go to work at home and uh try and become more efficient at fitting because the hinds were were easy i could do it in no time you know i could i think i got it down to where i could trim and make and fit and nail the hinds in like 35 minutes or 40 minutes or something That's when cooking. i was having practice goes and the fronts were taking me almost the entire go That's so, cooking yeah uh, were you practicing a whole bunch then? Do you think that's kind of when you learned like a practice system a little bit? I think I thought I was practicing a lot then, right? And I think I was practicing more than some of the other guys that were taking the tests that I was seeing there. And uh, so that was all right. But come to find out a couple years later when I started competing, I wasn't practicing a lot. You know, yeah. for me at We've the time, it was. We've all came to that realization at yeah, some time. For sure. Yeah, to realize there was a whole different level. So, um, yeah, I felt like I was devoting a lot of time to it, but I think later on I, you know, realized what truly devoting a lot of time to something is, and I think it would have come to me a lot quicker. I think I wouldn't have taken me so many tries to pass it. It's part of the process, though, you know, like yep. at the time you think you're doing a lot of work to climb this little hill, you know, to get like the journeyman or whatever, and then – you climb the top of it and then you come back on the other side and then you start to see like there's a much bigger hill to climb, you know, and then you're seeing like uh, all these other people are actually doing so much more work and then you have more work ahead of you. You know, you're constantly like seeing something new ahead of you. You know, you're accomplishing yeah. one thing and then you're seeing another thing ahead of you to be accomplished, you know, which yeah. is bigger. I think as long as you're still seeing that thing and wanting to go to tackle it, you're heading in the right direction, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you're still progressing and not just getting stagnant. 
Yeah, but it's hard. You kind of you have to keep on like changing directions a little bit, and that's kind of where we we could head next. Is uh, <clears throat> so you got over that journeyman hill, and that's kind yeah. of like uh, the baseline of the hill, and then you started going to WCBs. Yeah. When which uh, one was your first one? So I went to Fort Worth in the ice storm. You know, it was a pretty oh, okay. uh, famous one. Yeah, we that were was talking to Robert contest. about that last week. Yeah. So I I'd gone to one local contest that spring, and uh, and then that was my first ever contest. And then that uh, December was Fort Worth, and practiced some for that. Felt pretty prepared. Went there and just I mean got my ass handed to me in, <laughs> in more ways than one. It was miserable, cold, the ice. You know, I sucked. Um, it was, this was a pretty funny story. We can go off on a sidebar real quick and, uh, oh, yeah. go for it. So, so that deal, they, they canceled the shoe in cause the horses couldn't get in there. Um, oh, that's right. so yeah. they had, they had us all make the shoe and there was a dead foot that we had to do. And, it, uh, Stephen Beam is the judge and it was Tool and Fullard on the foot and Tool and Fullard caulk and wedge, uh, specimen never made Tool and Fullard shoe before. Didn't have tools, <laughs> didn't bring tools. You know, knew there was a big contest, knew there was no way I was making the shoe in. So I'm panicking. Right. And I just find, I, I think I talked to Craig and he's like, here, this guy will help you. Um, I had no idea who it was. Turns out it was Mike Stone. And, uh, oh, yeah, you know, Stone he's like, so what's the deal? Where's your kit? And I'm like, I don't have any tool and fuller tools. And he's like, have you ever made one before? I said, no. He's like, oh, no. fuck, this is going to be fun. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so he gets me through it and it's, it was, it was rough. It was, you know, I made a preventer. We didn't flip the section around in the tool and fuller <laughs> yeah. and it was a nightmare. So fast oh, forward so to last fall, you know, and you guys are getting ready to go to Greensboro here this week. And, uh, Stoney and, uh, Vince Besley were the judges there last year. So uh, me and the rest of the WCB team won that contest last year. It was a real, you know, big deal for us and everything. And uh, after the prize given, I go over and talk to Stoney, just thanking him for judging and all that. And I thought about that, and I'm like, I bet he's got no idea that was even me. I was just some kid that had <laughs> yeah. been there before. So I was like, you were at Fort Worth in the ice storm, right? And he's like, yeah. And I said, you remember that kid? And he's like, oh, yeah, that was a mess. You know, I, I that poor kid, I felt so bad for him. Like, dude, that was me. He's like, you got to be kidding me. There's no way. He's like, yeah, that was me. You know, he was pretty blown away by that. So it was kind of like a full circle kind of deal. You know, that was one of my proudest achievements was winning that deal with those boys. And and then that was kind of where it all started. So that was a really cool thing that happened last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. (laughs) That's uh, so you were just a cat one, obviously, probably going going in there. Yeah. How long did you compete as a cat one or what? So I, I went to that one and it was rough. And then we actually got a snowstorm back home right at the end of it. So we got stuck there for another two and a half, three days. So, uh, it kind of put a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth, you know, that was right in the middle of our, uh, gun, gun deer season, which is like a national holiday in Pennsylvania. So I missed most okay. of deer season, right? Went there, didn't have the greatest time because I got my butt kicked and I'm competitive. It was cold. You know, I got a new baby at home. I'm like, what am I doing? So I, uh, I kind of bagged it for a year, an entire year. Didn't go back at all that next year. And actually one of the, uh, bigger bucks I ever shot, I shot while my dad and my brother were driving down to Kissimmee for the contest. So I called him and I was kind of giving him a little bit of crap. You know, I'm out hunting. I just shot this big old buck and you guys are driving to Florida to go to a horseshoeing competition, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, uh, so that year I just kind of took, we had another, another daughter, um, they're about 13 months apart. So we, we had two little babies on the ground and it was, it was kind of good for me to just be home that year anyway. 
And then, so then the following year was Virginia, the first year they had it, and the first Vegas after that. So that would have been 15, 2015. Yeah, and I went yeah. to those two in Cat 1 again, and then uh, did pretty good in Virginia and practiced real hard. Went and hung out with a couple different guys, Mike Poe, Travis Smith, um, before, Virgi- or before Vegas. And I uh, made the shoeing in Vegas with, you know, like 100 people in the, in the deal. So I was pretty pumped about that. And, uh, was Hannah that was the out. year when uh, Sarah and Steven j- judged? Or was no, that, that was uh, Shane Carter and Bob Pethick. Yep. Oh, that's right. Ju- that judged that year. Uh, with Inch that straight half. bar, caught that P3 fractured straight yep. bar that had like six. With all the mass lace. On it. Yeah. yeah. And the yeah, uh, suspensory shoe and a big bevel. And, you know, yeah, it was about an inch and a half by half. Yeah, it was. Yep. Yeah. Was so I went to that. And then Hannah was out there and you know, I did pretty good. I placed in the category and I was like, I think I want to, I want to have a go with this. And if I do, excuse me, I want to, I want to go to all of them, you know, for the whole season and and do them all and have a go at it. And uh, she's like, all right, well, you know, you do it and see what you think. And we'll go from there. So then that next year went to Madison, went through cat one that year and won the year end of cat one. Uh, the next year, one year end of cat two, uh, cat three carl edged me out by a couple points we went back and forth all year so he got me there and then uh did one year at cat four and then that second year at cat four made the team and then i yeah, was the on the first team year for at cat four years. you made you made top 10 on that first year at cat four though didn't you i yeah i think i made top 10 in i don't think it was when i was in cat two but i think i made top 10 when i was in cat three yeah yeah and then uh and yeah, then my first year in cap four. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, it was on the team two straight years, qualified for the team again this year, but it was just time, time to take a little break and be home for a little bit. Yeah. Cause you, so, you got three daughters now, right? Three daughters. They're nine, eight and youngest is five. Yeah. Wow. So, it's a busy, busy house right there. It is. <laughs> yeah. And Hannah's great. And she's sacrificed a lot these past six, seven years while I've been doing this. You know, and she's held the fort down awesome and, and taking care of everything. But, you know, with all the, the stuff the girls are getting into, and uh, it's it's requiring a lot more than just time that she has. And there's things that Hannah wants to pursue as well herself that she's not done because I've been gone so much. So it's kind of my time to be home and let her do her thing a little bit. Oh, for sure. That's yeah. huge because it, it, it wasn't even practice really for you. Like, it wasn't like you were just practicing. So, like, I got to be on the Cat 2 team with you. Which and is awesome. Chad Lawson and Paul McIntyre. And yep. we would go practice at your place because your your shop's kind of a pretty sweet hub. It's got quite a few anvils and forges going in there and everything. Yeah. So, it was pretty much every weekend something was going on at your house. Or you had, like, you're a pretty big help out just for the local community for these guys trying to reach their certification so it's i mean props to her because it wasn't just seven years of you practicing and going right. to contests it was seven years of all of us influxing your house right waking her up at three in the morning singing right. songs at the table yeah. <laughs> was, that was still a pretty legendary one it's one of some of the maddest i've ever seen her but yeah she yeah. wasn't very happy even in the no. morning no 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 i was glad you were still there a little bit of a buffer for me <laughs> yeah that was the it was pretty funny i gotta go up on that when we did the cat 2 team it was a pretty funny deal because there was already like some confrontation before we went there that they weren't gonna let our team compete yeah 
I remember something about that, yeah. And one of the main reasons they weren't going to let us compete is because they thought Andrew was Tom. Tom <laughs> they, thought, they totally thought he was just using a different name or something so he could just, like, compete on the Cat 2 team. <laughs> yeah, the one guy actually asked to see my driver's license because they were pretty positive I was Tom. Yeah. Really? Oh, and yeah. That, this was the Stonely one, right? That was when we were in Stonely, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So they double checked your driver's license there at the contest. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it wasn't official. You know, it was just one of the stewards or something. You know, oh, he's yeah. like, I just, I, I just gotta ask you. And I was like, <laughs> what? And he's like, just can I see your driver's license? I just can't believe that you're not Tom. I was like, here you go. That must so have been were... one of the years like Tom wasn't on the other team then on the no, main Tom team. No, Tom was, but the oh the, he was. Yeah, because the the WCB team wasn't allowed oh, to have an invite to Stonely, right. right? So they kind of yeah. thought Craig was stacking the Cat 2 team or something like that and putting <laughs> yeah, them Yeah, because, like, they, they threw it out that they they didn't like me being on the team, which, like, it was kind of like, man, just because I can make some tools doesn't mean I can really make horseshoes. I still, I still <laughs> suck in there. So it wasn't like he was stacking it that well. Like, he could have yeah. stacked it better, like, <laughs> than with having me on there. But, yeah, yeah. they thought they had – Craig like shenaggled away to throw old Tom P on the apprentice <laughs> yeah. team and like Tom was going to be cool to go do it. <laughs> yeah. It was great. I mean, it's, it's still a joke. It's still a thing. And I think it was Madison last year, not this past year. I wasn't there, but the year before I got out of the car there and there was a younger guy there who I didn't really know. And he's like, Oh, Hey Tom. I just kind of looked at him. He's yeah. like, Oh crap. You're not Tom. Mario. Sorry. You're I thought you were Tom. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. man. Tom gets a kick out of it too. Oh, it was it was great. That whole trip was was good and learning like all that about awesome. it. It was uh that's that's when I first like kinda opened my eyes of like I don't think I'm practicing enough because like <laughs> man, it was like trying to keep up with you you was a, d- a different kind of turn of events. That's I think we we're all sure. trying to keep up with Paul. Yeah, man. <laughs> Paul made so many roadsters and straight yeah. bars. Yeah. It was really pretty impressive. very impressive. <laughs> yeah. And what a cool deal that whole thing was, you know, and especially get to share it with you guys. It was a great team to be on and, and going over there in England. And can't say enough about Andy Reeder Smith, too, and Alex Collier, you know, just those guys opening the doors up to us. And that was very eye opening experience. And I think such an awesome way to get prepped to be on a team with other guys especially because that you know you make a team up of your buddies that you just form yourselves and uh, any team's gonna have problems but you know it's kind of guys you pick and choose you know so when you just get thrown together on a team like that it's like all right this is what you got figure it out you know mm-hmm. yeah. it is kind of cool how that that preps you for for that and and more than just being on a team but just kind of how to conduct yourself in general you know whether it's working with a vet or, you know, working with a trainer or really anything in horseshoe and to learn how it's like, all right, we all have a common goal here we're trying to achieve. And uh, we might have our differences or different ways of thinking about things and seeing things, but we still got to make it happen and try to get along to a degree in the end. So I look back on that as a pretty big turning point in my competition career was being on that team with you guys and going through that whole process. That was huge. And that's why Craig does it because he gets it. He knows the merit of that team. Oh, yeah, yeah, one thing that'd be pretty thing. cool is like being paired up with, you know, three other guys that you don't necessarily know. And, you know, you're having to learn something new with all these three different guys. Like, how are they working? You know, and in the end, you know, you 
basically built a whole new relationship with these people and they're now become your friends, right? Yeah, for Still sure. To this day. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that I've found with being on a team is you got to admit to your weaknesses as yeah. much as you got to play to your strengths, but you got to admit like, look, I'm not efficient in this area, so I shouldn't be in this spot. You know, so mm-hmm. this guy is, he needs to be there. I need to take a step back and use this other skill that I have. Cause that's not me. I think that was huge for me is when we went to, to Andy's and you're there for a week. It's like, it's a pressure vault completely. Mm-hmm. It's like you're with each other nonstop all day. And so you're already all kind of just like pressured up from that. And it kind of gets like, you're going to figure like if you, someone bothers you a little bit or something bothers you about that person, man, it's going to come up to the top and something's going to like, it's going to become a discussion. And then you have a guy like reader Smith that is watching every single little bit. And he is so honest and upfront and telling you (laughs) what needs to happen and how it needs to be. So it's like you either accept your weaknesses or you're just like completely ignoring them you know what i mean because it it is like you're already so like vulnerable as it is because you're so like kind of especially by like day three or four being there yeah and then on top of that you have andy like well no you suck here you need to be here you suck at doing this you need to be here and it's like well you can't really argue it at any point but it's like it, it did kind of ruin me for everything else because it is like once you learn that bitterness or not bitterness of just like straightforwardness it's hard to bring it back a little yeah. bit no i agree like, too and i appreciate that in people it's you know something i appreciate a lot about craig is he uh he kind of just gives it to you straight or at least me i've known him for a while and everything we have a good relationship and i was like like even if you show him a shoe or a job or something his the first thing isn't what he likes about it it's what he doesn't like about it and that's that's yeah. cool. That's what you want to know. You want to get better. You're not just showing it to them like, hey, look at me. Check me out. Give me a pat on the back. Yeah. It's like, no, you know, why do I suck? Tell me I want to get better. Yeah, it's yep. when he puts on his reading glasses that you know it's about right. to be serious. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. You better toughen well, up. Yeah, that's. I was telling Chelsea about that earlier. Is like, you were one of the the like people that I've worked with before, and like, I have had you as a striker for pretty much every single important demo i have i have done probably i get so nervous doing that but it's like but it's so (laughs) i i can i can know that you're not going to tell me something unless you're for sure i need to fix it and so Uh it's like it's pretty easy to just like shut your head off when you're working with a guy like you know what i mean like i've had you Uh striking for me in live shoeings and stuff like that and it's like if you tell me like hey that's not your quarter that's not what that side looks like you need to redo this like well, I'm just, it's pointless to argue. You know what I mean? Like I should probably, probably tune in a little bit and go, go from there. So yeah. it was like, you were saying like, you learned that a lot from that. Like it probably kicked off that, but like yeah. how much did that climb again when you got on the team, like the WCB team? I think it, it did a lot. And, uh, what was cool about that and with the cat two team as well, I was pretty friendly with Paul and I knew you a little bit too. Right. So that was nice to have a little bit of a rapport with you guys and then grow that friendship from there. Um, coming onto the WCB team, you know, Mike helped me through my certifications. I've known him for a long time. And then Carl, me and him met my first year really starting to compete was when he came around too. And we practiced a bunch. So me and him were really good friends, you know, knew Dylan enough. Um, so that was, that, 
it was made it an interesting deal, and I think it was good and bad. It was good that we knew each other already, but then also bad that we knew each other already because I think we already had expectations of what was going on before we ever even started anything, if that makes sense. So it was almost it, like it, we had – It does. It was like we had habits formed already like that we had to then go back and break you know, because we had an idea how it was going to work out before we even tried it. So – you know, I'd say we probably lost a little bit of time, and Craig helped course correct that big time because um, we had a practice or or two on our own, I think, and then we went out to Craig's, and he kind of stripped us down and was like, no. And a lot of it was position change, you know, moving us around the horse as to who was where and, and doing what and kind of, you know, resetting us, you know, from what we thought. So I, I think it was, you know, good and bad thing knowing those guys, but – uh it was it was a constant um, evolution throughout the time of being on the team, of of trusting each other, learning from each other, and running that system. And you know, it's that those guys still haven't stopped that uh, evolution because I still talk to all of them on a regular basis, um, and just kind of keep up with them and where they're going. And um, I just am still interested and invested with what they're doing. You know, and if there's anything any of them want to bounce off me, I'm always happy to do it just because I still know them all so well. And I think is if you're not doing that, you're heading in the wrong direction. Um, and you need to constantly be checking where you're at as a team and making adjustments as needed. And I think it's just like looking at an NFL team. It's kind of like next man up. Not so much with that because they're not going to cycle guys out, but I don't think you're ever truly solidified in your position as, you know, whether it be the order during the go, whether it be what foot you're on, you know, I think it's you always got to be ready to take a hit or take a change if it's going to be the better thing for the team. That's, yeah, 100%, man. And so I don't want you to talk for the other guys, but it's like, you say earlier that you have to know your weaknesses and know your strengths. So like, where was that for you on the team? And like, what, where were those realizations? Um, I think a lot, a lot of it came from Craig. Uh, and I wouldn't say any of it was really surprising, but I think just realizing that more for me, that it was just okay. That that was the case that I had weaknesses and things I wasn't good at. And yeah, I'm going to practice and try and get better at them. But also right now, we're just not going to put me in the position on the team where that's going to affect it as much. And uh, I brought it up a little bit before, but the biggest thing was uh, efficiently fitting front feet. I was on a front foot originally when I came in. Um, Carl had been on a hind foot, so he stayed on a hind foot. Uh, Mike on the team that he was on before the Buddy Aprons team had been doing a hind foot, so he went on a hind foot. And me and Dylan went on the front feet. And uh, out of the two of them, we were the, the less experienced guys. Carl had been on the team for a year. Um, Mike had been shooing and competing a lot longer than the rest of us. So Craig was like, what are you guys doing? You know, if anything, you need to fully reverse that and get Dylan and Andrew on the hinds and the two of you up front, you know, because they're just going to perform a lot better. And at first I was like, well, I can fit a front foot. I just need to, you know, work a little harder here. I got this, you know. So I was a little annoyed and a little ticked when Craig said that. And, and that's when we kind of had a talk. And he's like, look, this isn't a dig on you. You know, and he said to me, he said, you've been on a couple teams, you know, doing, you know, classic with like the PPFA team and stuff like that. And he's like, you've kind of been in the position where you need to be organizing guys and you've been the most experienced one and, and everything. He's like, now you get the chance to you get to be the guy that they give some more time to and you need just need to focus on yourself and do the best job you can. 
And after he said that, and I kind of took that, you know, in my mind, because that's not the kind of person I am. I, I like kind of being in charge. I like giving orders and I like yeah. being the organized one and everything like that. So I was like, all right. I mean, who I doesn't? Need... Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wired no, that you, way. You are. You, you, like, I always joke around and tell Chelsea, call you Papa Andrew because yeah. <laughs> you would always take care of everything, man. It's like, even if I made it into a live shoeing, as soon as it came out, you would message me and tell me that you were going to be there and when I was, what able I was on. This is everything. what we're doing, Riley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, no, I could, I bet that was a big moment when he dropped that yeah. bomb on you and you're like, yeah. oh. I mean, because that's what you are even in your everyday life, like shoeing horses. You're kind of running sure. things. You got apprentices and stuff. Like, yeah. that's how yeah. it goes. But it was nice. And I just fell into that role of being in the middle of the go, being on a hind foot, which is kind of my wheelhouse. And, uh, I was yet yeah, given a little bit of extra time and kind of found my niche to where I, I, we, we got to looking back at old scores and I, I never had the best score during a go, but I almost always had the second best score in every single go. And, uh, Dylan, Mike and yeah, Dylan, Mike and Carl would cycle through and win sometimes be lowest sometimes, but I was always right there, usually second, if not third sometimes, but, uh, on the team. So I kind of found that that spot and I was able to do it good and I was able to do it quick. Um, so Carl was on first, I'd hover behind him. If he got in trouble, I could pass him. If not, I could just be right there and knock it out. And it just worked, you know, part of that was personnel, but we, we were able to find a real good system. But I think if, if we hadn't uh, been honest with ourselves and got that input from Craig and other people, I don't know, it might've taken us a long time to find that. And we were lucky that we found it pretty soon and we got to have a good, you know, year and a half or more going at it that way. How many goes at Craig's place did it go? Like, how many guys did you guys do before he told you? Or did he have you guys do one go at the original way you were doing it and then see how it went wrong? And then, or did you guys, like, just do one right out the bat where he changed it up? He, uh, he pretty much wanted to change it before we ever even touched a horse. We were just making <laughs> shoes, you yeah. know? <laughs> and then we did a horse. And it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. And part of it was feet out there, you know. We just being out they're east like we are. They're hard. They're dry. Yeah, and we just, you know, nutted up, and it was a mess in more ways than one. But uh, after that, we did that horse. Um, he he kind of sat us down and was like, look, I think we need to make some serious changes here. And uh, we talked about that. And Riley, do you remember when we were out there, we put those uh, tool and fuller, or no, the concave caulking wedges on that horse? The salt packing horses. Yeah. Yep. So that was yeah. the next one he had show up for us, that same horse. And uh, and he swapped us to that one. And then I did a hind foot on that one. I think both me and Dylan did hind feet on that one. And it went a lot better. Um, and then we just kind of rocked on from there. But we had had, you know, I don't know, we'd had a handful of goes already at Carl's house and my house before we went out to Craig's. We'd probably shot eight or ten horses already in that system. And then it's he pretty switched good. us around. I mean, for us, it felt like a lot looking back now. I mean, we've had practices where we've done eight or ten horses in a weekend. So from there, wow. it just, yeah, it just kind of went off. And um, It's kind of nice having that availability to have the horse do that in a weekend. Yeah, a lot of that is Carl and uh, the connections that he has in his area. And just, I don't know, I think there's probably 35 horses on his farm, you know, where he lives. And then all of them we can just grab and shoe. So that... That was a huge part of being on the team with him, and that was pretty central uh, geographically to the four of us. It's kind of right in the middle. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't think people realize that a lot about uh, a practice and how what you guys get after on a team on a team practice like that. You know what I mean? Especially with your guys' deal, it's like uh, we get together as my team right now. We're kind of just a group of buddies that put together, so it's a little bit more relaxed. Yeah. But you guys are like representing the WCB and Craig and everybody, so it's like you probably feel a little bit of pressure to just be making as many as you can and be shooting as many as you can the whole time you're there, huh? Yeah, and just wanting to get better, you know? And I think once you get in a system of it, we're not – it's just it's more efficient because we know what we're going to do. We know how the system's going to run. We know what steel we're going to cut. We know the process. So that take kind of take that out of the equation. And then it's just getting a plan for that horse, how we're going to trim it, how we're going to fit it, you know, what Did kind of – Did you guys have any disagreements – um, there'd be little disagreements sometimes, but it was kind of, uh, me and Mike for the most part seemed to know what we were going to cut. Mike was on the front end. I was on the hind end. So with Dylan, me and Dylan were behind. So we'd both measure and I'd come up with the measurement and Dylan would basically fact check me, but it was kind of, we usually agreed. And he might have a little bit of input, but he kind of trusted me. And then same thing up front. You know, Mike would kind of measure. Carl would have a little input and pretty much tr- trust Mike. So the measurement went pretty quick. Um, and that was just a lot of trial and error. Uh, and then we would try and go over the horse foot by foot with all three of us or all four of us and uh, decide how we were going to shoe it right there. Because we mm. fell in that pattern where we were, I'd say we were averaging six horses of practice. We'd do you know, three on Friday and three on Saturday. And it just kind of got to be an assembly line of bring the horse in, get the shoes off. Somebody's already got steel in the fire and we're off and running and we get done and we're like, well, what the hell? Why'd you make that kind of medial heel on that front? Or, you know, what, why'd you run the section so much down on that side? And it's like, well, it looked just like basically this. running through repetition at right. that point. Exactly. So that was like, hold up, slow down. We need to go over this horse in detail before we ever even start and actually get a plan and then try and mm-hmm. execute that plan. And once we start, you know, being able to look at the horse, come up with the plan for it, that's how we're going to get it shod the best, and then start learning how to execute that plan, that's when we really took off, you know, to where we could envision it before we went, and then we could execute that vision. And then that's... But it was probably helpful also that you guys did take that time, and you just did, like, the three horses or whatever, where you just rolled through them really fast, so you developed the system, right? Right. And then, like... I suppose if you would have went straight into just trying to like fine tune and nitpick everything, like it probably would have not ran so seamlessly. So it all happened for a reason or something. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. And there's times when you're starting to wonder if you should have gone about it a different way. But I think getting those sheer numbers underneath of us was, was helpful. And we all shoe a bunch of horses. Me and Carl both shoe a pile. Dylan's at, at it too. Now he wasn't shooing quite as many right when we got on the team. But in those two years we were together, Dylan's business probably doubled. You know, and Mike's yeah. been shoeing a lot of horses for a lot of years. So that was something we're all really lucky to have is, you know, I, I mean, trying to think, I probably average getting under 50 head a week at least. Um, you know, we did 14 sets today and we got about that again to do tomorrow. So just being able to see that many horses, <laughs> that many feet, you know, fit that many, nail that many. Um, but uh, I think if you don't hold yourself to a certain level of accountability on everyday basis – you're never going to achieve that at the contest. And uh, Daniel Jones talked about that a lot at the Winter Clinic this past year. It was really cool. And uh, 
me and Lamar talked about it a lot when we were judging the Pennsylvania contest this past spring is he's like, everybody's going to do what they do every day. And uh, especially with the trim. And he said, the problem with people that, you know, think they're going to do better just at the contest is they're still going to do the same they do every day. It's just going to take them twice as long. They're going to go about it in a really roundabout way by the time they get there. And interesting. Yeah. We, we talked about that a lot on the team and started to where we had to send a job every day that we did at work. Everybody did to the group text. So you had to do at least, you know, your foot one time during that day that was good enough to send to your buddies on the team. Right. So that whether it be like a, with a keg shoe or did you have to do it with like no, a handmade shoe keg shoe handmade reset you know didn't matter but wanted a picture of the foot trimmed and then it nailed on unfinished right so okay, we know so you didn't nail bottom that thing view on and it. top view right bottom view and top view so that you didn't rasp everything off and oh, yeah. uh you know if you're not going for those higher trim scores fit scores nail scores every day while you're shoeing you're not just going to pull one out of your butt at the contest no, it doesn't work absolutely that way. not you know, so, uh, that was a big change for me. Cause I would try and do that. I'd have a go or two before a contest, like at work and be like, all right, I'm really going to turn it on. It had to be slightly better than what I did on every other horse, but not that much better. Good horseshoe and everything fit, everything was safe and all that, but it wasn't what was going to get me on the, you know, in the placings at a shoeing competition. So being on the team and having that accountability from the guys, it changed that a lot, and I saw my trim scores go up, my fit scores go up, my finish scores go up, um, just because I started practicing it, and it made me that much more efficient at work, and made my work that much better. And you know, the as far as competing goes, and going back to we were talking about, you know, the three different stages of my career, I've seen more growth in my skill and my business in this third phase of my career than I did in the first two phases combined. Like it's without question. And I think the biggest thing is the realization that I was nowhere near as good as I thought I was and knew far less than I thought I knew yeah. um, <laughs> before I started competing. And a big part of it is hanging around those people that are at those competitions and seeing the level of work that they can produce. And I feel like a guy can take that two, two ways. You can see it and it can scare the hell out of you and it can make you discouraged and call the whole thing a bunch of crap and walk away and never go back to a horseshoe competition again. Or you can let it motivate you, get better, do what those yep. guys did, and then reap the benefits of it in your everyday life. And uh, I feel badly sometimes when I think about it to how I used to shoe horses, you know, and think that like a lot of the problems I saw and I was having, I was causing, you know. You say, oh, this horse gets turned out in a swamp or you know, the rider doesn't know how to ride or, you know, the feet are falling apart because of this. And it's like, no, I couldn't trim and I couldn't fit and I couldn't nail. Yeah. It was just plain and simple. I was just covering feet and that was it. Well, it's interesting that you just said um, that after competing this long, you realize how much it did help you. And oh, yeah. there's a lot of people out there that think, competing, what's it going to do for me? It's not going to make me any better. It's not going to help my business none. Like, you know, there's so many people that think that, but you literally just said it has directly helped you in three different ways of your life and your business, you know? Yeah. Oh, and in so many ways and more than anything ever could, uh, 
the, the contacts you make, you know, I have horses that leave and, you know, go back to different parts of the country or get sold and whatnot. And I can almost always give them a reference of a horseshoe and have confidence in that reference for sure. Have the guy's cell phone number in my phone likely. Right. So that's Mm -hmm. one, uh, two is efficiency at work. I love shoeing horses. I love going out and doing it. But when I leave the house, my goal is to get back to the house quickly. Right. I want to go out. I want to shoe my horses efficiently and well and get home and see my family. That's, that's my goal. Right. So that's, that's cut our time down big time. Um, and then it's also, uh, you know, made it to where we have less problems. So you're out there fixing less stuff. Um, there's, you know, it's, I, my business is pretty high maintenance. I shoe a lot of horses, a lot of horses that do a lot of stuff. So there's still plenty of things to tend to, but I know compared to the other guys that I know, um, I, I seem to have to deal with less, um, to a degree. So that's, that's big time helpful. And, a small part of it, and I think this is something that people really hone in on when competing, is is they see it the way it's going to help you is that you get recognition from your clients because you did well at the competition. And that's not the whole thing of it. But I know with some of my clients that perform at a high level, they get invested in what I'm doing and they see that how invested I am in horseshoeing and that I'm going out and doing all this and competing in, in, what, in my trade and what I do. And that I want to be the best I can be at it. Right. And they're a competitor at what they're doing in the same boat, you know, and that kind of puts us on the same uh, level mentally, I feel like. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's not to be discounted and it's a smaller portion, but it is something um, that helps out with it. But, you know, it's, it's immeasurable what competing has done for my career and for my business. Well, and talking That's about awesome. your, your shoeing business as Gen General, is, uh, I know just when you were competing heavy, you did still have a, a big pile of horses on your books, yeah. but it seems like that has maybe even jumped up even after you slowed down competing. You've just filled in that time, like some of that time with more horses. So it's like, what type of horses do you shoe mostly <clears throat> and uh, what uh, keeps you the busiest? Yeah, it's mainly uh, three-day event horses is what we shoe. And then uh, we shoe a pretty big barn of steeplechase horses, which for anybody that doesn't know what that is, they're racehorses that go over jumps. Um, you know, they do some of it on the track or they, you know, do it on a point-to-point race cross country. So two very similar disciplines, I'd say. You know, the eventers, they do show jumping and dressage and cross country as well, but they're horses that work really hard and work at speed and have a lot of the similar issues as the steeplechase horses. Um, and that's probably, that's what makes up, you know, 80% of my business, I'd say, or those, those two disciplines. Aventers and steeplechase horses. Yeah. Yeah. Are the, are the steeplechase horses more thoroughbred type horses? Yeah, they are. Uh, they're all thoroughbreds. They're a legit racehorse then. Yep. Yep. Do they fit up a different way or anything? Like just tight. (laughs) Yeah. It, it depends on what they're wearing uh, with the time of year, and they've they've been changing the rules with race plates here this summer. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, so that's affected our horses when they were running the flat track this summer up north and down south to where we had to go. They had to be, you know, flush-toed, queen's plate-type shoes, no rim on them whatsoever. So what but, does that uh, mean? What what was the new, the new rule, and, like, what were you doing beforehand? Uh, before, they were allowed to have, like uh, – I believe it was a two, two or three millimeter grab. Our horses were allowed, which is like an XT 
you know, an XT type race plate. And now that has to be a, a flush toe. But then they changed back to the Heinz on the dirt track could have like a three mil grab. And then they're talking about allowing uh, an outer rim shoe with a, you know, flush to the outer rim, but it's a two millimeter outer rim with a two millimeter grab. And I don't know if that shoe exists yet. So there's, there's been a lot of, you know, unclarity, I guess I could say about what is going on. It's all new to me. (laughs) Why are they doing it? Like what's the, you know, just to try and mitigate some injuries. And, uh, most of it pertains to these flat track horses, which is, is a world that I'm not in at all. You know, so I, this is just what I've read on the internet. And then uh, Pat Brodus, who's a farrier at uh, Churchill Downs and Keeneland, he's, uh, I was at the, uh, the five-star event in Kentucky for some of my clients and got to meet Pat there. And we talked a bunch about it. And this was before the rules came down. And uh, he had a good, most of what I'm saying is what the information that he gave me, but he was even still a little confused. So this time of year, our horses are... Um, they're doing uh, events and races that aren't sanctioned by that um, organization. I believe it's HISA, H-I-S-A. I can't remember what that stands for. So now it's a little unclear as to what they're allowed to because some of the races do go by those rules. Some of them don't. So week by week, you know, it's kind of like me and the barn manager have to have a powwow. It's like, all right, what do you think we're allowed to put on these horses for the race this weekend, you know? So we did that last week. I think they had about 11 running this past weekend. So I think we did, I think, 14 or 15 there last Tuesday. And uh, I think we have 16 on our list there tomorrow. Um, me and my dad and two helpers. We got two apprentices that will be there with us. The four of us will go get those knocked out. And who knows what we'll put on them. You know, it could be outer rims, could be queen's plates. And uh, we just keep a stock there at the barn of all the different kind of shoes because it's more that I could carry in my rig. And, you know, we just go into the storeroom and get out whatever we need. And these are all aluminums? Uh, yeah, they, they uh, work on the roads in the winter times, And sometimes, you know, if they're not, their season of racing for that particular horse isn't in right now, they'll put on steel with a little bit of borium on them and they work on the roads and stuff. But they're all plates, whether it's tra- steel training plates or aluminums, but they train in aluminums. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you're That's shooing all- pretty high-end three-day event horses, though, too, aren't you? They aren't, like, just... Uh- the lady down the road that goes to one or two a year. <laughs> I mean, we do some of them, but yeah, a lot of the ones we're doing are pretty, you know, pretty top notch. And, uh, we're fortunate that, um, we have some really high level eventers in our area, you know, a couple current team members, some former team, uh, you, you know, United States equestrian team members. And it's an area that is saturated enough with that much talent in that, uh, discipline that there's a lot of other people that come around for that. So then you have people of all levels, uh, you know, I'd say it's the main discipline in our immediate area where we shoot horses, that and fox hunting. Uh, we have a pretty old hunt in our county. Um, but as far as showing goes, that's definitely the most prominent uh, discipline around us. What type of injuries and stuff are you seeing in those horses all the time? Like, are you just like, is it, I'm sure it's the same stuff kind of almost over and over again. Yeah, same just, type of horses, yeah, right? suspensories and, and uh, tendon bows, really? you know, it seems to be, yeah. Um, tough to say if there's any rhyme reason one or the other but and i feel like it's almost just with numbers um you know see, you're seeing so many of those horses that you're always going to have one it seems that's having that type of an injury but um i think it's cool shoeing those type of horses because of how hard they work um but then it's also tough because with that type of work that they do and how hard they work they seem to break down yeah typical 
So yeah. you're, there's probably times though when you're just trying to keep the thing going or keep it getting get it to a show again, huh? Because there's really yeah. not a lot of rest period. Yeah, that that's pretty much most of the time we're shooing. That's what it is, you know, just trying to maintain what we have there, do as little as we can with the trim, keep stuff gathered up, leave them as much foot as we can, and still keep them balanced and and get them on through the next one. And we shoe them often. We're shooing them every 28 days, every four weeks they're getting 28 days you got it nailed down that 28 days yep (laughs) holy cow i've i've whittled my business down a little bit as far as clients go and i have six barns that i go to weekly and that's the majority of my business anymore um wow and uh i had to i was just shooing too much and uh I, i almost had two businesses uh, in one i had you know all my show clients and and there's that race barn and everything and then i had a whole slew of smaller stops between two and four horses that, uh, and I was just trying to maintain both of them and it was killing me. And, uh, you know, February, Were you I like was giving the show barns more attention than the, the two to four ones, or I was trying to give everybody the same amount of attention. And that was the problem. You know, I just was getting stretched thin. And then I travel for work a lot in the winter. Uh, you know, I got a good portion of my book goes to Florida and South Carolina. Okay. So every other week I was down there and then being on the team and practicing and competing, it uh, ended up that February I was home for six days, you know, at my wow. house sleeping in my bed for six days. And I knew <laughs> that was the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, last team event was in end of February, beginning of March there in Kentucky. But it was just it was just tough and kind of something had to give. You know, I had my family, I had my business, which is what I had dreamed I'd build my business into. I'd kind of achieved that. You know, I was shoeing the kind of horses I wanted to shoe making the kind of money I want to make, had helpers, everything was going on, and then competing. And my goal was to make the WCB team. I had done it for the second year in a row, and uh, everything was just going great. But there was no way I could do all of them completely. And it was either one of them was going to suffer, either my business, my family, or being on the team. And I didn't want any of them to suffer. I didn't want to not give any one of them everything I had. So that was kind of what made my decision to take a break from competing just because I didn't want to sacrifice the other two. I'd worked that hard to build my business, you know, and my family and uh, just as hard as I did competing. But, uh, you know, competing is something I feel like I could come back to, you know, the business is something I just kind of going to maintain. You know, my family is not something I'd want to abandon and come back to, obviously. So, yeah. That's kind of where, that's just the point I got to. And that wasn't like I hit that point in February. That was, uh, you know, in, in Fort Worth the year before when I decided to do the team again. I had that conversation with Hannah and I said, I'd, I'd really like to do this one more time. And then that's going to be it. And she said, all right, I got you for one more year. And then let's take a break after that. And that was the plan. So there was no two ways about it. Even with planning though, and knowing it was coming, Man, how weird was it, though, after that last one where you're just like, no more practices scheduled? No <laughs> it was more, tough. You know, it has to be kind of weird. It still is. And uh, it's been a big change for me and for Hannah, too. You know, just kind of looking at life a little differently again. You know, this is the most I've been home in 
I don't know how long. Is she ever like, you need to get out of the house, go to the shop or something? <laughs> yeah. she, she hasn't straight up said it to me, but yeah, I know. The, her, the good thing is archery season opened for us last weekend. So, you know, when I have free time, I've been sitting in a tree stand. Uh, yeah. So that's good. So I'm out for that. But uh, no, it's kind of been learning how to do life again, the two of us, because she's been so used to holding down the fort and she's the boss and she's doing everything and rocking on. And then here I come with my ideas about how things should be done. And it's yeah, we've a little already tension. established that you're, yep. you're, the, you're a boss. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure so, that was a little bit of a, a button heads moment. Yeah. But it's just like with horseshoe and, and being on a team and everything and Hannah and I started dating when we were in high school. She was homeschooled as well. So it's kind of been a, a crazy trip for us. I think we've been together uh, going on 17 years now. We've been married for 10. And uh, So how did two of... homeschooled children meet? <laughs> right. So we, at our, we grew up on a farm, and we had like a science co-op class at our farm where other homeschool kids came, and we did basically field studies and stuff for our science class. I, think, oh, okay. I don't think it was once a week. I think it was twice a month or something like that. So she was in, you know, the general area around us and her mom got her involved with that group. And I think we met when we were 14 or 13 and uh, started dating when we were, I think I was a senior in high school and she was a junior, junior and sophomore, something like that. So, um, but yeah, we've been together for a long time and there's been a lot of ups and downs and like uh, I was talking about with, uh, being on a team, admitting ad, admitting your flaws and the position you should be in. That's totally the case of being in a relationship. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's a tough thing for me to do for sure. But uh, I'm getting better. And uh, Hannah helps me with that a lot. She's got a lot of compassion and a lot of understanding and a lot of empathy. And those are things that I really don't possess hardly anything of. So she's uh, teaching me how to look at things and people and situations a little bit differently. And so it's it's been good it's been good for me and uh yeah but i think that probably like completely goes with the competition thing a little bit though is that you do know how to accept criticism learn to adapt and realize when it's better for the team right like this team is family and so it is like it's even easier to adapt almost you know because you're it's a more worthwhile reward at the end like so it is pretty easy to you know, at the end of the day, like I catch myself doing it all the time in my own personal life. I'm like, man, I kind of dropped the ball here, here, and here. This was probably a little bit of the highlight of the day, but man, that highlight could have been better if it was here. So it's like, I'm sure you're pretty good about doing that with your life just right now and being home. And it's like almost probably turning home life into a little bit of a competition, you know? Yeah. Like inside. I think I lose sight of it sometimes, though, being home, just because it doesn't have the same kind of structure as being on a team and practicing, you know, and it's every day. So I think you get in too much of a routine sometimes with how hectic it can get, at least for us. And everybody's the same way. Everybody's busy, right? We're all got stuff going on. And for us, I feel like me and Hannah talk about it all the time. It's like we have two days. You know, I get up early. I go to work. I shoe horses. Hannah does everything at the house to run the house and feed us and you know everything else that goes on in our life pay all the bills and then I come home kids get off the bus and now it's like all right now day two starts right we have to have a meeting who's going where this one's going here you need to drive this you need to be this you need to be here so then that's the second part of our day which is almost a day in itself so I think that kind of structure is definitely helpful 
you know, because then it makes it like work. It makes it like a competition. It makes it like being on a team. And it helps to have a partner at home that can get in that mindset too. Hannah likes organization. She likes a plan. She likes lists. So I think when we're in that mode, that's when we're doing the best. Because I think we're both living that that good part of our lives and, and the way our brains are wired. Right. I think it's that that other time in between when there's there's chaos or something's not going right and whatnot, which is kind of what we weren't experiencing when I was gone so much because I was home for short stints of time and everything would just kind of flow like that. And we'd do our thing and then I'd be gone for a bit. And usually the chaos or whatever would hit and Hannah would be the one dealing with it. And I think when the shit's hitting the fan is kind of when the uh, the tension comes in. Because I have my ways of how I would deal with it and Hannah has her ways. And I think that's that's kind of what we've been having to relearn now. And uh, uh, that's when I've had to check myself and take that step back and, and realize that she's been running the show for the past several years. And well, I need it was to trust almost like you're talking it. about when you guys were doing the team of like, you guys stopped and like before <laughs> you were in the chaos of just piling horses in during practice. But then once you guys realize like, Hey, if we stop and have a little powwow before we start the horse, mm-hmm. we will probably be on the same page. But yep. if not, we're just assuming where this person's going to be and what they're going to do. We're probably going to be pissed off when they aren't there or they, like, aren't thinking what we were thinking. But it's like, man, like, that's been huge for me and Chelsea in our everyday life now is, like, we have little powwows of, like, so we just try to get on the same page. And it's kind of sounding like that's maybe what you guys are doing now for, like, and that, that I think it's, man, open lines of communication and being able to accept criticism is just freaking huge. On it is. Each part. Absolutely. Especially in a, in a relationship, you know, that's what we try and do every evening, sit down, talk about how the day went, what didn't go good, what went good, what tomorrow has in store, how we're going to execute and rock on yeah. from there. We call it a staff meeting. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> it's pretty cool though. Of like, man, it's like people could say competition only helps you in certain ways, but it's like maybe competition caused some of the problems, you know, because <laughs> you were gone. Right. You would have found something else to be gone with, though, for sure. Really, oh, yeah. you know, I, and it's have, like uh, right. And like, if you yeah. were gone just fishing and hunting all that time, you probably wouldn't have learned any damn coping skills at all. I don't <laughs> you would think just so. Came out <laughs> a bit an asshole. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. So you are you getting any more hunting and fishing in now? Yeah, I am. And uh that's something I enjoy a lot and it's, it hasn't ever changed throughout. You know, and I still found some time to hunt while I was competing, but not as much as I wanted to and that was another thing the kids were kind of missing out on going cuz they're not old enough to go without me, right? And they want to go and I don't want to miss this time when they're young to kind of really solidify and, and get it in them and they do enjoy it a, a bunch and i wanted to make sure i was here for this point in their lives and be able to get them out as much as i can too so yeah no it's huge it's where it sets kind of a baseline but it's like it's funny though because did did your dad hunt a lot or i, I don't no. think he did did he no he didn't he took his fishing um but he wasn't ever really into hunting uh, a couple guys you know a great grandfather on my mom's side and uh, her great uncle and cousin and they took me out once but that was just something i always felt like i wanted to do and uh my dad had an old bow that he'd picked up just for shooting targets and stuff so i learned how to shoot it and actually that's when me and hannah started dating i got permission to hunt on her family's farm through her mother and uh, hannah kind of showed me around the farm over there and that's when we started to become friends you know outside of that class that we were doing and that's when we started dating so in pennsylvania you can hunt without an adult when you're 16 
So when I turned 16 and got my driver's license and learned how to shoot a bow and uh, my uncle took me to get my hunter safety card and, and, uh, just started rocking on. So pretty much self-taught, a lot of trial and error, figured it out and, you know, I've killed a bunch of deer over the years, something I just love to do. That's yeah. Cool. It's kind of a staple at staying at your house is your, uh, your Amish made, Oh, the deer bacon. Deer bacon yes. man. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I killed a nice doe really good. this past week and I think I'm getting fifteen pounds of that bacon out of this one. So that'll be back in the house. We're out right now. <laughs> that was yeah. I want was, some of that. Yeah. Oh it, yeah, it looks like uh you know when you go to England they got like that flat wide bacon almost. Yeah. Like yeah, it's kind of what it looks like, but it is like it, it yeah, it's good taste to it, good like smoke to it or something. It, and it's yeah, coming it's just, from a deer. I think yep. it's just pretty much bologna, just squashed out to look like bacon strips. <laughs> bologna. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was delicious, though. Yeah. But, man, so it's like you're probably still screwing around in the shop some, huh? It's like you and your dad yeah. and your brother have all kind of kilometered together and made a pretty sweet little forge you got there on your place. Yeah, and guys have still been out there a lot. And we got two young guys that are working for me. And uh, Levi Turnka, he's actually living with us right now. And, and he's been working with me and my dad and my brother for the past uh, about month. And uh, he's down at Carl's right now this weekend. And, uh, um, or no, he was over there this weekend. He's there still right now. It's Monday. And uh, he'll be headed down to North Carolina for the contest and then coming back up here after. So, you know, he's been out there every night since he got here. He's been here for a little over a month. So that's been getting me out there a bunch more. And, um, I still enjoy going out and just making shoes, even if I don't have to for a horse. Uh, I do put some handmaids on horses and, uh, I try and make them in the shop here and have them on the truck just so they're ready to rock. But, uh, there's plenty of times when I just feel the need and I go down there and crack out a couple shoes or make some tools. And I do still enjoy being down there. And, uh, the guys wanting to be out there is, is huge. And that's something I really like. And something that they get out of working with me as part of their pay is just free reign of the shop, you know, Coke and propane and steel. It's all there. And, uh, you know, like Riley was saying, my brother has his anvil there. My dad's got an anvil there. So we have, you know, four anvils set up and a couple Coke forges, a bunch of gas fires. And we were just lucky when we bought this place, we had this great big building on the property to set up our shop in and, uh, it's just kind of open to anybody that wants to come around. So I really enjoy that part of it too. And hanging out down there and having a beer and making shoes is always going to yeah, be fun. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you got pretty deep into making folders. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'm figuring on this winter, I'm going to try and fine tune that process that much more and get a bunch made. And if anybody's listening, that's asked me for one in the past six or eight months, I know I have a list. I'm sorry. It's, uh, it's just been, I just been tied up and I, I don't like when people are like, I'm too busy. I can't do it because everybody's busy, especially horseshoers. They're all Mm -hmm. busy, you know, but you're going to make time for the stuff you really want to do and the stuff you feel like you need to do. Right. Uh, and so I don't want to say I'm too busy, but I just have a lot of other stuff that's filling my time right now. And, uh, a lot of what I'm doing is thinking about my process and Riley weighed in on it good when he was, uh, here and for Pennsylvania, we got to hang out a little bit and he was in the shop and I made a fuller and he had some good points about how I could, um, produce them a little bit faster. Um, and Riley's got that mindset. Obviously all of us know about how talented he is with making tools and how talented he is in the forge in general. And, uh, I just kind of wasn't thinking about it, going about it in the right way. 
and so you're and talking you're, you're more fine-tuning just how you're making them not not a less fine-tuning the end product really no the end product i feel like i've got pretty well dialed in as far as how i like it and i've gotten some really good feedback but i need yeah, to come sweet. up with a way to, thank you to uh more efficiently produce them you know instead of just tinkering around with one and forging on it forever and grinding on it a bunch and polishing yep. it and i can make it pretty sweet at the end but it ain't sustainable to try and actually make them so yeah, folders like we we talked to robert about folders too and yeah man they're just always still like one of those like kind of mysterious like items you know it's like so i'd be interested to hear your thoughts of what you think makes a sweet running fuller like when you're grinding so, one up where are you yeah. where are you going yep so i like them to be compact um i feel like as uh, in like how hot how tall they are yeah from like from the blade to the striking end like i like that to be pretty compact um mm -hmm. It's one, it's easier to see around so you can see your fuller in lines. And two, I don't know if this is mathematically correct, but I feel like if the tool's smaller, there's going to be more energy transferred from the hammer yeah, from into the it hammer. to into the shoe, right? No, that makes whether sense. That's, whether that's right or wrong, it's what I feel. So it might just be mental on my it's end. They were better I thought for about me. it as well. Right. It's, All right, it's cool. less tuning. It's less tuning fork effect. Right, exactly. So I like them in that sense for those two reasons and then the height of the blade from end of the blade to end of the blade i feel like on a lot of saddle horse fullers especially that you buy it's closer to like seven eighths some of them are even one inch and for getting around that arc in a quarter when those fullers I, that's what i call the height when that blade is too tall itself i feel like it opens up the branch and distorts the shape a lot so i like that to be closer to uh, th uh three quarter that's as exactly far as the end Robert of the blade to the end of the blade. Yep. yep. I think that's more appropriate for a saddle horse fuller, and then a draft fuller is okay being closer to seven eighths. Um, mm -hmm. So that's even what I'm draft, looking for. Even a draft hind? Uh, yeah, that's what mine is that I run. Is is It's just a hair under seven eighths is my draft fuller. So and, do you uh, make your draft fullers taller as well? Like from just cutting a, edge to striking? Just a little bit because I feel like it falls in that proportion, right? So with yeah. the blade being that much taller, then the whole tool needs to be that much taller to match that, right? Just yeah. to have the proportions look right. Yeah. So not a ton, though. Not a ton okay. bigger. I, I think if they got to be a little bigger, one to stand up to the sledge and then two the heat, you know, yeah. just the tool's going to deform a lot because there's not as much steel there to, to soak up that heat. Yeah. Yeah. That makes but sense. But I've learned a ton from Robert. And it's, you know, between it's three guys, I always say when people talk about tools, it's you, Riley is one and Robert and Roy Bloom is pretty much anything I know about tool making and making tools. Troy Armantrout too has taught me a lot as well. He was out for a clinic, um, at Lamar's and learned a bunch from him. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's the main thing that I've gone down with making is, is fullers. It seems. Yeah. And, so it's uh, just like, you just mostly focus then on the height from striking in to cutting in and yep. that length after that, you're just kind of focusing on the nail that you're wanting to fit or. Yeah. And just looking at that profile, you know, I don't like a big swoop in it. I like it to almost, you know, as far as the blade coming inside the eye, you know, I, uh, I so like you to aren't have too worried about that straight. point being in the middle. I, w I want it to almost look like it's just outside the eye is the way I like them. 
almost like it's not if you really measure it and you put calipers on it or whatever it's pretty much right there but at first glance it almost looks like it's just outside just, out, just seem, outside of center just outside of center yeah yeah those seem to be the ones that run the best for me and uh i try is and there just, any particular side you know if it's one way or the other yeah to to the outside so if you're to looking at it you know the it's, side yeah, with it's the groove yes the side with the top fuller in it yeah just mm-hmm. just to that side um is that seems to be how i like to set them up and i feel like part of it too is then with tuning the easiest side to tune is the outside of that blade and then that's going to move it over yeah it's you know if you don't have the right size contact wheel it can be harder to tune the inside of it so if you're already almost just outside of center it's easy to move it back the other way it's harder to move it the other you know from inside to outside yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that that makes sense completely, and it makes sense that it being on the outside is will keep it more upright when it gets hit. Because yep. if the cutting edge is to the inside more, well, one, the inside of your fullering is going to be straight up and down, so you really couldn't fit an E head. You'd be fitting more of a just a city head or a combo. Right. But you, it it, it wants to fall in the whole entire time when you have them like that. So that would, I never yeah. thought about it trying to push it to the outside, but that would make sense yeah. to make it stand upright throughout yeah. that just, whole entire hitting. Just trial and error, man, making a bunch of them and getting them in a lot of guys' hands and seeing what everybody liked. And, you know, that just kind of seemed what ran best for me, and a lot of people liked them. So that's what I've been running with as far as making them here lately. And have you figured out how much, like, is there a certain amount of radius you like, like on the bottom of them or arch, you know? on the bottom and the backsides or anything or yeah it's it's subtle you know with them being that small you know about three quarters of an inch if you go putting a big arc in them um it's going to be hard to get a stop one way or the other so having that you know that blade just being about three quarters of an inch tall you really don't need a whole lot of radius there when you're looking at the bottom of the blade but that's what i when i'm tuning them that's what i grind first so i put that arc in the blade you know once everything's ground down pretty small you got a small flat spot um put that arc in the blade you know just subtle and then go from the inside of the blade on the contact wheel and then keep looking at that and the uh when you get it to the the center of the blade will start to get thinner first and the two outsides will be thicker as you're looking directly at the blade if that makes sense it's kind of hard yeah. to just you know talk about <laughs> so now you know the the center the in, inside of your blade of your fuller that you're on the contact wheel yep. with that's that's real uh narrow and then the two edges you know where you put your arc in at the very end are slightly thicker so that's when I switch mm-hmm. to that outside of the fuller blade and you make those match the thickness of the center of the blade. And then that's how your arc matches the outside. Yeah. So as you, you put on the bottom. That makes sense. Like the, yeah. when you start grinding them at first, they're both, it's pretty straight. Yeah. So you put the radius in on the inside. So then when you're looking at the cutting edge, it, there's, it looks like a tunnel almost, you know, yep, the top exactly. of the tunnel is flat, the inside of the tunnel is radius. So then you just match that. And get an even cutting edge on there. Exactly. So that's how you know you have an even radius on the inside and the outside. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, that makes, and that's, that makes a lot of sense. Roy Bloom, I think, taught me that. I screwed up. I had a fuller of his. It was my only fuller I had. And I wore it out. And he was in Madison, I think, the first year I was there. And I went up to him and I said, hey, Mr. Bloom, my name's Andrew. I have one of your fullers. I love it. 
I wrecked it. I tried to fix it. Now it's worse. Can you help me try and fix it? And he's like, yeah, usually people just come up and tell me my tools suck and it broke and they want a new one. I was like, no, this was me. I'll admit it. So he's like, how many folders do you have? And I, maybe I had one more. I said, I got two. And he's like, well, I'll take them off the handles and meet me at the grinder. So I did and took them over there. And Roy probably spent an hour and a half standing there grinding fullers with me and teaching me stuff about them. And, that's pretty uh, sweet. Yeah, that's what he he's kind of pushed me. He's like, you should start, you should make some, you know, because tuning them is the same as grinding them to make them, you mm-hmm. know, just even if it's mild steel. And then uh, and then Robert had that fuller as a, a specimen for the contest up there in Connecticut. And that was not long after that, and that's what kind of set me off on doing it. Just really enjoyed it and something that made sense to me and was different than making shoes, you know, just for fun to do. I didn't, just I didn't go to the there. one in Connecticut where Robert judged. Was it his, the specimen kind of like the typical style that he makes? Yeah, it or was. was it, it, some... it was a bigger fuller because it was a draft fuller. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think he, we had to make it out of square, one inch square mild. And I think he yeah. made his out of seven eighths or one inch round. Because his he made oh, okay. out of tool steel, the specimen was, because right. then he auctioned it off. But yeah, it was pretty typical Robert Jukes sweet profile fuller, you know. Yep. It was hard to do without a grinder. Gavin, oh, you definitely remember that fuller, because remember, Craig came to my house for a clinic, and he made he made one, <laughs> remember? Oh. Yeah, because they asked, can you make a fuller? And he's like... <laughs> Why are you asking me? I don't know how to make fucking fullers. <laughs> Craig, like, <laughs> obviously Craig's fucking a machine. He's a wizard in the forge, but he yeah, made right. an absolute pile of shit fullers. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Gavin, Gavin wrote his name on it and slipped it back into his box, so he had to take That's it awesome. home with him. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, it was good. Heck so now, yeah. man, it just seems like do you have plans of coming back and competing again. Yeah, or I'll be back what's, around. What's for, the plan for, sure. for Andrew Nielsen from here? For the near future, as far as I can see right now, I'm just going to keep rocking on with what we're doing, man. You know, being home with the family, hunting family. a bunch. Uh, you know, me and my good buddy Justin, he's a horseshoer as well. His, my dad actually apprenticed with his dad back in the day. Uh, we go on a salmon fishing trip every year. We're leaving for that on Sunday. So we're going fishing Where do you guys for four go? days. Uh, upstate New York, up, you know, right near Canada. Um, Sweet. So just straight north of here, just lake run salmon. But, you know, it's a great trip we do every year. And, uh, yeah, I, I did a couple clinics this year, judged some contests, really like doing that. Um, so I'm still open to doing that, um, you know, whenever anybody calls about that. So I'll, I'll still be going down that road and uh, did some local contests this year that I hadn't done before and uh, probably do a little bit of that next year too uh, and just kind of keep sorting out the business. You know, I think I started talking about it a little bit before, but about running basically two businesses worth of horses. So I did mm-hmm. cut a bunch of that off the book uh, this winter, you know, because it was still, you know, February, March, and I'm pulling my hair out with so many horses to shoe and like something's got to change. And uh, and pushed off even more after that and have turned down a good bit. And yesterday I was doing my schedule and just decided to count the horses on my book. And I got about about 330 horses still on my book. Wow, so even between with cu- six clients. Uh, well, there's yeah a couple small clients too, but yeah, mainly mainly between about six barns. Um, wow. So, kind of figuring out managing that, and with a little bit more time, because my schedule was always real compact with competing, and I've left it that way to have some time to go camping and 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 whatnot. But I don't know if that's sustainable to keep shoeing horses in the 
in the with the compact schedule that we're running right now because basically monday tuesday wednesday is just a marathon you know it's you know doing 50 heads sometimes in those three days or more and then that was to be to go to you know go to practice on thursday and be gone or go to a contest but now it's like you know to do that to just have four days off there's only so much i can do around the house and only so much i can hunt and everything like that so I think it's so much Hannah kind of, wants you around. Right. That's the other thing too. <laughs> so kind of adjusting how the business is run in that sense, just a little bit. And then getting to spend more time with the guys that are working for me too. I got, you know, three great, real young guys, uh, David, Nick, and, uh, Levi working with us right now and, uh, really enjoying that. And they keep it fresh and keep it fresh for me and keeping me, you know, reiterating what I'm doing every day and, you know, they hold me accountable and they see what I'm doing. I want to make sure I'm not teaching them bad habits or whether it's business or life or, uh, horseshoeing in general, you know, I enjoy my good role model. Well, I appreciate that. I try to be, but you know, it's, it's tough. So yeah, I think is, you know, for at least the next year or so, that's kind of what life looks like for me. That Um, looks like a pretty good out view. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about it man, that's the times you can't, you can't get back. That's probably one of the biggest things I have to you, like a biggest thanks is when Chelsea was pregnant and we were coming home from a contest or something or I was at at your house for a practice. And I was telling you the things I was planning coming up and you just looked at me like, you're going to do none of that. You're going to stay at home with your wife and yeah. your soon-to-be kid, and you're going to just hang yeah. out at home, man, for the next year. Yeah. It's like, so I, I think you're on a, a good track, man. You, you've accomplished a shit ton in Thank this, you. in this world and not even like in just our competition world, you've accomplished it in the business and the certifications. A lot of people owe you a lot of thanks for the skills you've given them. And I'm sure you feel the way for other people. So it's, it's really cool that you give back so much, like a definite, definitely a good person all around. And it's a, you're a role model, just like Gavin said, for all of our trade. I appreciate that, man. I feel like it's my duty and the least I could do, you know, I had countless people help me along the way and I'm just thrilled that I'm in somewhat of a position now to help other people out. And I'm more than happy to help out in any way that I can. I feel like it's all of our duty and that's like what you guys are doing with this. You know, you guys both got a ton going on. You don't need to make a podcast, right? You guys are busy as hell, just like everybody. But I think this is freaking awesome to just, you know, help connect our community to that much more. Like you guys said in that pilot, you know, you guys have been immersed in a lot of this and got to hang out with a lot of different people, but not everybody's that lucky like we are to get out there and meet all these guys and, and BS with them. So I think this is such a cool format. I was honored to be asked to be on here and hang out and chat with you guys for a while. And I think it's really cool what you guys are doing. You guys should get a big pat on the back for it because it's going to help a lot of guys out, I feel like. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it very much. Uh, it's like something I always think of is we had some big legends come before us and they cleared the path. All we got to do is walk down and keep it open, man. Amen. I totally so, agree with I appreciate that. 100%. Your part of that. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thank well, you everybody for tuning in and hit us up on our social medias, our Instagram, uh, I think we have an email too, maybe. I'm not too sure. Yeah, Forging Brains Podcast at gmail.com. And then uh, Instagram is Forging Brains Podcast. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Thank you, guys. Cool. Uh, I'm sure you.